Good evening. A judge finds former President Donald Trump in contempt. Diplomats plan to meet in Moscow. The United States skips its annual celebration of the day the Soviet and American armies met. And Elon Musk is set to buy Twitter. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Monday, April 25th, 2022. A New York judge found former President Donald Trump in contempt of court Monday for failing to adequately respond to a subpoena issued by the state's attorney general as part of a civil investigation into his business dealings. Judge Arthur Engren ordered Trump to pay a fine of $10,000 per day. He said, Mr. Trump, I know you take your business seriously and I take mine seriously. He issued the ruling from the bench in a Manhattan courtroom. Following a hearing, New York Attorney General Letitia James, a Democrat, had asked the court to hold Trump in contempt after he missed a March 31st court-imposed deadline to turn over documents. The judge said a contempt finding was appropriate because Trump and his lawyers hadn't shown that they had conducted a proper search for the records sought by the subpoena. Trump, a Republican, has been fighting James in court over her investigation, which he has called a politically motivated witch hunt. And Elon Musk clinched a deal to buy Twitter Incorporated for $44 billion cash today in a transaction shifting control of the social media platform used by millions, including world leaders like former U.S. President Donald Trump. Discussions over the deal had appeared uncertain, but accelerated over the weekend after Musk wooed Twitter shareholders with a financing deal of his offer. Discussions over the deal had appeared uncertain. Under pressure, Twitter started negotiating with Musk to buy the company at the proposed $54.20 per share price. Today, Musk told his more than 80 million followers that the company had tremendous potential and he wanted to make it better. Musk's move continues the tradition of billionaires buying control of influential media platforms that include Rupert Murdoch's takeover of the New York Post in 1976, remember that, and the Wall Street Journal in 2007, and Jeff Bezos' 2013 acquisition of the Washington Post. The transaction was approved by the board and is now subject to a shareholder vote. In Washington, White House press spokesperson Jen Psaki said the president's concerns are not new. Well, I'm not going to comment on a specific transaction. Uh, what I can tell you as a general matter, no matter who owns or runs uh, Twitter, uh, the president has long been concerned about the power of large social media platforms, uh, what they ha the power they have over our everyday lives, has long argued that tech platforms must be held accountable for the harms they cause. Uh, he's been a strong supporter of fundamental re reforms to achieve that goal, including reforms to Section 230, enacting antitrust reforms, requiring more transparency and more. And he's encouraged uh, that uh, there's bipartisan interest in Congress. Uh, in terms of what hypothetical policies uh, might uh, happen, I'm just not going to speak to that at this point okay, in time. Musk's Twitter buy opens up the possibility that the platform's most famous tweeter, former President Trump, may one day return. And Stephen Donziger is enjoying his first day of freedom from home confinement in 933 days with a block party near his home on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. He made the announcement earlier today on Twitter, I believe. So I just came out of the halfway house. It's over. After 993 days, these are my release papers. All they really say is I'm, I'm not on probation or under any kind of supervision anymore. Woo! So I'm heading out of here. Um, back home. Start trying to live, live my life again. Thanks again to everybody. It's just been extraordinary. Love to everybody.
The environmental lawyer was embroiled in a federal case after he successfully represented a tribe of Ecuadorian Indians who were damaged by oil drilling by the Chevron Corporation. He was charged with criminal contempt of court in 2019 for refusing to turn over his computer and other electronic devices to a district court judge. Donziger spent decades suing Texaco and then Chevron, which bought Texaco in 2001, challenging the oil giant with causing a mass industrial poisoning in the Amazon that crushed the lives of indigenous people. In 2011, an Ecuadorian court awarded his client, uh, his clients, 30,000 indigenous people, $18 billion, a sum that was later reduced to $9.5 billion. Chevron said the that Texaco's $40 billion, pardon me, Texaco's $40 million cleanup in the 1990s had already been deemed sufficient by the country, and it countersued. In 2019, the judge in the case took the highly unusual measure of appointing a private law firm to charge Donziger with criminal contempt of court. He was disbarred, placed under house arrest, and found guilty in July 2021. In late October 2021, he began serving a six-month jail sentence. 29 Nobel laureates described the treatment of Donziger as judicial harassment and high-profile activists like Sting, Greta Thunberg, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez rallied to his support. Tonight, a two-hour block party will take place at 245 West 104th Street, where Donziger lives, to celebrate his freedom. Speakers will include Susan Sarandon and Chris Smalls, who led unionizing efforts against Amazon. And in national news, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals today issued a stay of execution for Melissa Lucio on death row for the murder of her two-year-old daughter in 2007. Lucio, 53, was scheduled to be executed Wednesday. The court ordered the 138th Judicial District Court of Cameron County to consider the new evidence presented by Lucio's legal team and issued a stay on her execution pending resolution of the remand claims in her habeas application. A recording preserved the moment Lucio heard the news. This is State Representative Jeff Leach. Okay, hold on just a second. Maybe get closer. I think we lost signal. Hold on just a second. Hello? Melissa. Yes? Hey, this is Jeff Leach. Yes, sir. How are you today? I'm doing fine. How are you? Good. Have you heard the news? No, what? You haven't heard the news yet? No, what happened? The Court of Criminal Appeals issued a stay of your execution for Wednesday. We just got word about 15 minutes ago. It means you're going to wake up on Thursday morning. Um, and, um, you're not, you're not making the trip to Huntsville on Wednesday. And the, um, the order was very strong in that you're going to, it appears that you're going to get a new trial at the very least. They, Melissa, I love you to death. There's a lot of really great people who've been working on this on your behalf. And just, I would say, 
millions who've been praying for you. You know that. And um, um, it's been an honor to, um, to fight for you and believe so strongly in your cause. And, of course, remember Mariah today, and I know you do as well. Um, but... This isn't this isn't the end, and uh, we're going to continue to work together to make sure that um, that the that the right thing is done, and that hopefully, ultimately, you're free. That's the goal. And that was the scene earlier today. Huntsville is the site of Texas's death row, and the word soon spread to Lucio's son and supporters being interviewed live as the call came in. John, you're on speaker with all kinds of people, and uh, Lucio was convicted in 2000. Oh, pardon me. Toda la evidencia que no se presentó, la evidencia que ahora, ahora están saliendo con todos Chivo, los especialistas, Chivo, yes, con todos no, los especialistas y también todos los, um, no sabemos, yes. porque se ha prolongado Babe. bastante. Mamá, voy a estar. Le acaban de dar un Hey, Warden, this is State Representative Jeff Leach. Okay, hold on, just stand up. Let me get closer. I think we lost signal. Hold on, just a second. All right. Okay, I I think you can you can pot it down. That just was added there. I'm sorry about that. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, that was as the news the, in this day and age, we can actually follow the news as people learn it one by one by one. And that is what apparently occurred today. Uh, Lucio was convicted in 2008 for the murder of Mariah who prosecutors said suffered physical abuse leading to her death. In clemency appeals, Lucio's legal team had claimed new evidence shows the toddler's death was an accident caused by an undiagnosed injury sustained after falling down the stairs two days prior. Texas State Senator Jeff Leach, who championed Lucio's cause, spoke with WBAI shortly after the news broke. Lucio's case is the most troubling case I've ever reviewed here in the state of Texas. The system literally failed her at every turn, but today... With the Court of Criminal Appeals decision here in Texas to stay her execution and to essentially grant her a new trial, the system worked, ensuring justice for her and for Mariah, the victim of this tragedy. So it's a, it's a good day here in Texas, and I'm hopeful that, that she'll get her new day in court and her fair trial and that the system will prove strong. Fifteen years. Why did it take 15 years? Well, like I said, the system literally failed her at every turn from her initial interrogation to the trial, uh, her ineffective assistance of counsel through the appellate process. It, it, it just it took too long. Sometimes the system, the wheels of government move slower than we would like. But to hear the joy and the uh, the relief in her voice today was something that I'll never forget. And um, it was a fight worth fighting. And I'm so grateful for all the support from so many folks on both sides of the aisle that we received on this effort. Governor Abbott, what was his role in all of this? Couldn't he have let her out a long time ago? No, I mean, the, the governor nor me are the fact finder on this. We're not the judge or the jury. The process needed to play itself out. The governor would have had between now and Wednesday uh, the ability to grant a short reprieve. But thankfully, the Court of Criminal Appeals stepped in and actually went farther than that in granting her a new trial. So the system worked and the court did the right thing. And it's a good day for justice here in the state of Texas. A new trial? You think that's what it's going to go that far, do you think? 
yeah, I think it should go that far. Of course, I'm still coordinating with and communicating with her legal team. And they're some of the most highly capable and equipped and skilled lawyers anywhere in the country who are representing her. We're working and collaborating with them. And, and I think the goal right now is to get her a new trial so that this new evidence and all the problems in the original trial can be fixed. What kind of reforms? Well, this case has been uh, – it, it showed us so many areas in the system that need to be fixed. Next session, when the legislature convenes in January of 2023, every option will be on the table, every tool in our toolbox to make sure that the system works, that it can be trusted. And that was Jeff Leach, a Texas state senator who championed Lucio's cause. The stay of execution comes just days after the state of Texas executed 78-year-old Carl Wayne Buntian, who had been the oldest death row inmate for killing a Houston police officer during a traffic stop nearly 32 years ago. Lucio would be the first Latina woman executed in the United States since the resumption of the death penalty in the 1970s, according to her legal team. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. The United States hopes the war in Ukraine will result in a weakened Russia that no longer has the capacity to invade its neighbors. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said that today, a sharpening of rhetoric towards Moscow as the conflict stretches into its third month. We want to see Ukraine remain a sovereign country, a democratic country, able to protect its, uh, uh, its sovereign territory. Uh, we want to see Russia uh, uh, weakened uh, to the degree that it can't uh, do the kinds of things that uh, it has done uh, in, in invading Ukraine. So it has already lost a lot of military capability uh, and a lot, of, uh, a lot of its troops, quite frankly. And that's Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense. Austin was in Poland answering questions from reporters after a brief trip Sunday with Secretary of State Antony Blinken to Kiev, where the pair met with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and other Ukrainian officials. In Kiev, Blinken asserted Russia had failed in its invasion of Ukraine. We're seeing that when it comes to Russia's war aims, Russia is failing, Ukraine is succeeding. Russia has sought as its principal aim to totally subjugate Ukraine, to take away its sovereignty, to take away its independence. That has failed. It sought to assert the power of its military and its economy. We, of course, are seeing just the opposite. And that was the uh, Secretary of State. Ukraine's fire, foreign minister, Dmitry Kuelba, had this to say. As long as Russian soldier puts a foot on, Russia, on Ukrainian soil, nothing is enough. And I want to be straight on it. We appreciate everything that has been done, including by the United States. We understand that for some, what has been done is already a revolution. But this is not enough as long as the war continues. It's not because Ukrainians are greedy. It's not that because we want to grasp the opportunity and get as much as we want. No, it's because we need to win this war. And that's Dmitry Kaliba. He's the foreign minister of Ukraine. And meanwhile, Russia's spokesperson, Dmitry Polyansky, Pol, pardon me, Polyansky, yes, Dmitry Polyansky, accused the United States of provocations. The U.S. and its allies has a proven record of using the weapons of mass destruction allegations to assault sovereign countries which do not want to succumb to their pressure. This is exactly what happened to Syria and Iraq. He also denied that the uh, expected visit this week by the United Nations Secretary General uh, would lead to any sort of ceasefire or peace agreement. So why has he agreed to meet with him now? Is there an opening for a humanitarian ceasefire? President Ge uh, uh, Secretary General asked 
president accepted. That's very simple. You ask, we accept. You don't ask, we don't accept. Uh, is it time for a ceasefire? Sorry? Is it time for a ceasefire? Uh, I, I don't if think If the Secretary-General so. asks for a ceasefire, will Russia comply? I think, he, I think he asked for Easter ceasefire, and Easter, Easter is over right now. So you, didn't so you didn't comply with his call for an Easter truce. What? If he asks for a ceasefire well, when he goes to Moscow, will Russia comply and end We are war? not supposed to comply with the calls. Compli uh, people comply with the orders, but not with the calls. So there was a call for ceasefire, and uh, we opened humanitarian corridors which are not being used by Ukraine, and uh, Ukraine is also compromising our efforts to open these corridors. So we don't think that uh, ceasefire is a good option right now, because the only... Uh, the only advantage it will give, it will give uh, possibility for Ukrainian forces to regroup and to stage more provocations like Bucha, like I, I called to you. So frankly, it's not up to me to decide, but I don't see any reasons in this right now. And that is uh, Dmitry Polyansky of Russia. And with all the war, it's easy to forget that today, April 25th, 19, uh, is the anniversary of the 1945 day. At the end of near the end of World War II, that symbolized the once great friendship between the Soviet Union, the country that preceded Russia, and the United States of America. It's the day that soldiers from the Red Army and the U.S. Army met at the Elbe River, and it used to be uh, at Arlington National Cemetery. It used to be commemorated here in the United States. It had been since at least 1995, where a brass plaque was erected to to the uh, to the meeting of the uh, Russian and American armies in the defeat of Nazi Germany. Uh, to this year, uh, no ceremonies were held. They were canceled. And just as a reminder, maybe for folks who've just hearing about this, what exactly Elbe Day, as it was called, used to mean? First contact between advanced units of the American First Army and the Russian First Ukrainian Army Group in the heart of the Reich was made by radio. A Russian officer, freed from a prisoner of war cage by the Americans, broadcast a message to his countrymen, which was picked up and acknowledged. Three days later, the actual link-up was made on the banks of the Elbe. We in this country heard the meeting described by Frank Gillard, BBC war correspondent, in these dramatic words. This is the news for which the whole Allied world has been waiting. East and West have met at 20 minutes to 5 on Wednesday afternoon, April the 25th, 1945, American troops of General Bradley's 12th Army Group made contact with Soviet elements of Marshal Konyev's 1st Ukrainian Army Group near the German town of Torgau on the Elbe. Nazi Germany, tottering to her final collapse, has been split clean in half. The forces of liberation have joined hands. History was made on this day when East met West across the body of the Third Reich. This is the American flag used to signal to the Russians. A bedsheet decorated with paint from a Torgau drugstore. From Moscow radio came the voice of Marshal Stalin announcing the historical link-up. And our own Prime Minister adds his voice in celebration of a great and memorable occasion. We meet in true and victorious comradeship and with inflexible resolve to fulfill our purpose and our duty. Let all march forward upon the foe. And that was from April 1945, commemorating 
Elbe Day, the day the Soviet Red Army and the United States Army met at the Elbe River near Turgau in Germany. A day commemorating a great and long-lasting friendship and, and alliance that once existed between the United States and Russia and before that the Soviet Union, despite the Cold War. And recent reporting has uh, revealed that uh, there is a group of people who are referred to as anti-vaccine influencers, including Dr. Joseph Mercola. Some of you may have heard of him, one of the uh, some field top spreaders of vaccine misinformation. Others say he's telling a story of uh, of uh, bad things that are happening by the drug companies that are behind these vaxes. And uh, it says he's been claiming that COVID-19 vaccines, particularly booster shots, cause AIDS, which they've given the name VADES. The magazine Coda writes that Science Up First, an organization working to counter misinformation, concluded vaccine-acquired immunodeficiency syndrome, VADES, does not exist. It's a made-up condition by players participating in the anti-vaccine movement. Dr. John Moore is professor of microbiology and immunology at Weill Weill Cornell Medical Center. He is uh, known internationally for his research on HIV-AIDS. He says that there is no such thing as VADES. This is a lie. It's a manufactured uh, device put together by anti-vaxxers to try to scare people away from COVID vaccines by falsely claiming that, that it can give them AIDS or it has contains components of the AIDS virus or whatever concoction of, of, of lies and distortions you choose to come up with, because there are this different flavors of this now going around. But it's all designed to freak people out, persuade them that the COVID vaccines are dangerous, and bring it into the emotional area of saying it's got something to do with HIV AIDS, which it categorically doesn't. It's just a, a lie, pure and simple. Right. And let me put it in context of this because I, I'm fully vaxxed, believe me. I have no problem getting vaxxed. I'm not going to put that in. I'm just for our information. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wear my mask and I do everything you're supposed to do because I grew up in a, in a sign. My dad was an engineer and I know science. So um, that said, a lot of people come to me and tick off all the people who are fully vaccinated who got COVID. And they say over and over again that it's like injecting water, basically. Well, that's not true. So what we have seen in the last several months is a reduction in the ability of the COVID vaccines to protect against mild at-home infections because the Omicron variant that became dominant uh, around Christmas and into the new year has the ability to break through vaccine protection to a point. And the point is that it is still, the vaccine is still very strongly protective against severe disease and death. So although there's a greatly increased risk of getting mild at-home infections, you are very unlikely to have to visit the hospital or the ICU or in the worst case scenario, the morgue, if you're fully vaccinated against COVID. So the COVID vaccines are not water. They are keeping people alive and out of hospital. Mm -hmm. How do we know that? I mean, some people are saying this is all false information that was uh, the pharmaceutical industry is passing in order to sell billions of dollars of uh, vaccinations they say don't work. 
Well, the data that professionals in this area, and I have no ties with any of the pharmaceutical companies, the, the professionals in this area rely on data that comes from two sources. The CDC, which collates vaccine information and has a very clear and uh, pretty easy to access website with all the relevant information on it, and peer-reviewed scientific publications from health networks, uh, hospital court, hospital consortia, and the same uh, not only in the USA, but foreign consortia that also often better collate vaccine information than we do in the USA, particularly in countries with um, centralized health net networks like the UK and, uh, and Israel are pretty good on vaccine tracking. And as there's, they're generally the same vaccines, the information is directly relevant to what's going on in the USA. The USA. So we don't rely on corporate press releases, and I'm as aware as your audience is that the companies are interested in selling their vaccines and sometimes that, that really rather annoys us because they push it too far. Nonetheless, the truth is still there that the vaccines have saved hundreds of thousands of lives in America and millions worldwide. So whatever you think of the pharmaceutical industry, in this case, their products have been life-saving. Something on the Internet has equal play to something in JAMA. The internet is an absolute menace if you're looking for healthcare advice, unless you go to serious medical websites that are proven track record, that are associated with leading medical institutions or the CDC, NIH, anything that has a serious track record. But if you're looking for stuff that people are trying to sell you something, they have an agenda. They want to sell you stuff. And the stuff that they sell is is often literally worthless and expensive and uh that was a very interesting interview with dr john moore professor of microbiology and immunology at wheel cornell medicine who is widely known for his research on hiv aids we were talking about the false claim of a disease that doesn't exist called vades <laughs> And that's some of the news for Monday, April 25th, 2022, Elb Day, East Meets West Day. The news is produced by Linda Perry, our engineer is Reggie Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening.